Welcome to STEAM Powered, where I have conversations with women in STEAM to learn a little bit about what they do and who they are. I'm your host, Michelle Ong. My guest today is Emily Ross. Emily is a business strategist, advisor, and startup mentor. She's the founder of Inkvine, an international growth partner for tech firms in artificial intelligence, Internet of Things, cybersecurity, and e-commerce, and is active in the entrepreneurship and startup space, also serving on advisory boards for groups like South by Southwest Pitch, Shore Valley Ventures, and Go Green Roots. Join us as we talk about entrepreneurship, mentoring, and diversity. Thank you so much, Emily, for speaking with you today. I am really looking forward to speaking to you about all this cool stuff that you've been doing, all the interesting things that you do. And yeah, so thank you so much for joining me. Uh, thanks for having me. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's. I was delighted to get your email, and it's uh, it's wonderful. I think what you're doing is great. So some fascinating stories, really exciting. Oh, thank you so much. <laughs> really appreciate that. So it sounds like it's really been an interesting trip for you, for coming from a background in general sciences and now being a technologist and business strategist. Was science and technology something you were always interested in? Uh, yes, it was. Um, so from a really young age, I was always fascinated actually by science fiction. And I think that's that was probably my my gateway to science. So um, I was always obsessed with, uh, with space and with uh, the future. Um, you know, I loved all of the like retro and futuristic sci-fi as a kid. And I, I think it was my big brother really was the one who kind of got me hooked onto that genre. Um, and I started reading um, quite a lot of uh, far-fetched fiction from a young age. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, I, I suppose it's funny. My, I think my core strength is probably communications and writing. But when you bring um, science and writing together, um, I think that is a, a really interesting overlap. So, um, but how I ended up where I am now, it's a pretty circuitous route, to be perfectly honest, because um, yes, I studied science in Trinity, um, and, um, but I, I, I left before I graduated, I left after three years, and I, because I was, yeah, I was fascinated by, at, the, at that point in time, telco, telecoms and, and mobile telephony was really uh, transforming. Um, and so um, my brothers, my friends, a lot of them were working in, in uh, engineering and in coding and in entrepreneurship. Um, and I think it was just around the time of the first dot-com bubble. So everything was really exciting happening in, in the internet and websites. So... Um, I actually left to work in that space. So I started by uh, building databases uh, and and yeah, for me, the database thing was was interesting because I love order and structure. Um, and so it was a whole new world. Um, so the traditional sciences at that point in time just felt really boring and all the action was kind of over there. So I wanted to go where the action was. Um, and I did that for a few years, um, but actually then I, had a sort of a very random tangent where I left to, I say I ran away to join the circus. It wasn't really <laughs> circus. It was, uh, it was uh, more circ performance, but I became a, uh, you know, spent a, a little bit of time as a camera woman traveling internationally. Um, and then I was a professional fire dancer. Um, and actually I spent a brief stint as the girl on the board that they threw knives at. Um <laughs> Uh, yeah, so very, very unusual. 
Yeah, I just, well, events and performance, um, experiential um, events were, I suppose, just right up my street. I had, um, uh, I had spent some time organizing charity events um, and, and then at some time as a performer. Um, really, I had no plan. I just, yep. uh, if an opportunity came up and it felt exciting and interesting and it enabled me to travel and meet people, I just took it. So I had a really interesting few years, but all of it, in hindsight, I'm able to join the dots in terms of what it led me to become. Um, yeah. But yes, it was it was definitely a very, very um, diverse training set if you're looking at the, the data that goes into making who you are. Uh, <laughs> After, yeah, and then, um, so I set up my first company, um, which was an event management company, and that was for corporates, a lot of tech companies and corporates. Uh, I sold that to go and work for UNICEF. So I headed up their corporate fundraising and I managed large scale CSR partnerships with the likes of Procter & Gamble and Ikea. And actually really there, I was beginning to explore um, digital channels because if you're trying to do creative marketing and you don't have a massive budget, you know, if you're if you're an organization like UNICEF, you want to be as lean and as cost effective as possible. So yes. at, at a point in time, we were exploring um, uh, influencer marketing, social media, um, email marketing. Um, and so that was kind of my first dip of the toe into um, the world of digital. And really what you're doing is you're combining communications activities with uh, digital channels to be as engaging and persuasive as possible. And then, yeah. uh, and then really it's all about the metrics. Um, and so from there, I, I moved to a role with a, a really um, outstanding digital agency where I really cut my teeth on the, on the data-driven stuff. Um, and, uh, and all the while I was continuing to learn and study, um, I went back and I did a, a master's in marketing. I did some additional courses in uh, analytics. Um, I've been getting my hands dirty with Google Analytics now for a good 15 years. Um, and so, yes, I set up this particular company, um, Inkfine has been running for about four years and we specialize in helping uh, deep tech firms communicate effectively so that they can grow internationally. That's fantastic. So what sort of things are involved in, you know, getting these firms doing all the tech stuff to grow internationally? So um, I've kind of created a bit of a hybrid approach to understanding these. So first of all, if you're in an emerging space, if like if you're a, a hybrid AI uh, e-commerce firm that uses uh, fireworks inference to create knowledge graphs of products, um, like that's even only beginning to scratch the surface of what they do and how they do it. So I think um, what we do best is really get under the skin of a company that's still evolving and growing to try and figure out how we can um, really quickly communicate their remarkability. Because if you're, um, you know, some of the technology we work with is so advanced, it's very difficult for the individuals themselves to communicate to a broader market. And if people don't understand what they do, no one's going to you know, invest in them, use their product, become a beta tester. So really helping them um, find their potential. value and communicate it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so sometimes I call, um, I call myself a dumb translator because I get in there <laughs> and understand the science really quickly and then help um, articulate it. Um, there's a, a Japanese organizational theorist called 
uh, Kenichi Ome, who developed the 3C model of the interrelationships between companies, customers and competitors. And we use a sort of a bastardized um, uh, approach to that when we are helping companies communicate and we evaluate the company and the competitors and the customers. But I genuinely tend to find all of the best information when we talk to customers. Um, and funnily enough, because we're on the outside doing that for our clients actually allows us to really get a better understanding of why the clients or why the customers actually use that particular company or what the, what value they get out of it. Um, but yeah, the customers always have the answers for sure. But it, again, you know, it's 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 always changing. So the verticals that we work best in are uh, AI, um, IoT, um, and actually in the last 12 months, we've done an awful lot of work in the e-commerce space. But if it's new and if it's different, um, that's where we're fascinated. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, especially with a lot of the tech currently moving into all these new spaces, the way that it's integrating to all these other industries. And, you know, you, you hear them using all these amazing technical terms that really have no meaning outside of that space. Yes. <laughs> so, for example, yesterday I had a, a great chat. So I do a lot of mentoring and um, I work with a number of accelerators. Um, um, but uh, like, for example, yesterday I, I met with a team uh, from Volograms. And they're a fantastic team. They're doing incredible work, but it's in volumetric video. So um, a lot of people don't even know what that is. Um, and when they see it, they think, oh, that's cool. But they still don't, don't understand like how it can be applied. So for example, um, so volumetric video is uh, when you're using multiple camera points to capture video. And then the, the signals are added together to create a hologram, if you will, of that oh. um of that person, for example. So it has multiple different potential applications, but until this technology is taken and used, no one can see what the potentials are. So, yes. um, you know, the, the team were saying, well, this is how it works. And these are the 15 different, you know, things that are happening and what we're doing and what we're going to launch. And, um, and I was saying, okay, cool. So if I was to make a volumetric video of myself, I could, um, uh, and let's say I, passed away on my gravestone I could uh, Im, I could project my volumetric self and someone with a mobile phone uh, could open up the screen and in an AR environment see me standing on my own grave chatting to you and they were like oh. yeah that's an amazing idea that's an amazing <laughs> example of how you use the technology and I'm like okay because you could totally show that rather than having to explain it and people yeah. would get straight away what volumetric is. Or I instantly thought of uh, Princess Leia, you know, yes. help me Obi-Wan, you're my only hope. Exactly. That is an example of, uh, you could display that, uh, capturing that hologram, capturing that um, image in the in 360 is an example of volumetric video. Um, and it's really useful for, you know, virtual tour guides. You can walk into an art gallery and you can open up your phone um, and right in front of a piece of art would be a human being that you could walk around with your camera and see them from all sides and they would be communicating the piece of art. So you have a, you know, a volumetric tour guide. So it's actually like bringing their examples to life to help them communicate their remarkability uh, is is part of what we do but you know that's the creative piece the technology piece is also around you know um laser focused pr search engine optimization um you know deep market research uh you know it's a it's a mix the tactics yeah. are different but the results are generally always working towards helping people grow 
yeah, that's amazing. And so that's definitely, you know, it's clear that's how that led you into tech entrepreneurship and all the mentoring and advising capacities for organizations like South by Southwest Pitch. Yeah, um, I was really fortunate to be invited to the advisory board of South by Southwest Pitch um, a few years ago. I think this is my third year. Is it my third year or my second year? Third year. Um, um, and that actually came about because myself and two other female tech entrepreneurs uh, founded Sports Tech Ireland. So this is a not-for-profit that um, was focusing on generating foreign direct investment to our region of Ireland, which is uh, the Midwest, uh, the city of Limerick. Um, and actually, uh, Gornia and Martina are really the driving forces behind that uh, initiative. And it was a fantastic opportunity to understand the power of collaboration because I'd been a solo entrepreneur for quite a long time. Um, and to do something collaborative, collaboratively that had a really strong um, social impact that, you know, created jobs and that worked with a number of different organizations. That was really phenomenal. Um, there's a very little women in in sports tech there's very little women in tech but um i think that brought me to the attention of the south by southwest team and they invited me to be on the advisory board so it's going to be an interesting year this year for south by um yeah. with everything being virtual Definitely. uh so yeah uh, we'll have to see how that goes but uh, it was great this year just evaluating some of the applications uh i was mostly looking at uh enterprise and smart data and ai and you know in the last 12 months, innovation has accelerated simply because it, you know, in a crisis, crisis drives opportunity, it drives yes. innovation. Uh, and so, uh, you know, even the, the things that are coming out of, of those spaces are more exciting than ever. That's amazing. So what does being on an advisory board for v like VCs and angel investors involve? Um, so actually, surprisingly, it, as much or as little as I think you you can manage. Um, so um, I work with a VC fund that, again, focuses on um, emerging tech. And uh, um, in that capacity, it is about being available to the entrepreneurs. Uh, if you if you have if you have the time, it's, you know, regular advisory board meetings. Um, I'll be. Um, delivering a workshop around core comms and uh, and growth marketing um, as part of my you know support but yeah it's just being there for the occasional phone call um, and you know sometimes it might be about opening a door uh, to somebody else it might be advising on whether or not you know you know how you're going to launch a project so my call with Volograms yesterday was precisely one of those they're one of the they're, they're an investee organization um, and for me they are they're a useful way for me to give back a little bit of my um, my efforts. I generally try and concentrate my support for uh, younger female entrepreneurs because I, I like the idea of being able to give back. Um, and so I also mentor. So Trinity, where I went to college, have a fantastic program for uh, female entrepreneurs. So I mentor uh, a young female entrepreneur there. Um, and yeah, so um, I, I get a lot out of it. I think people who mentor do get a lot out of it. It's a I wouldn't say it's an entirely selfish act, but, or, <laughs> but it's definitely one that has benefits for both. Yeah, that's amazing. So you know, what, when you're looking for a mentoring relationship, what sort of things should people be looking for when you're looking for a mentor? Actually, you know, this is a really, really interesting question because, um, you know, it's only in hindsight that I look back and I realized that I had a mentor at, at one point um, 
uh, actually, this is a this is a funny story. My very first kind of proper job was in telco, and it was um, for um, a, a mobile phone network. And we were building. This is hilarious how old it is, because uh, I'm 42 now. But this was when the 3G network was like just a glint in people's eyes. It was like, you know, everyone lived on 2G, and we were rolling out the 3G network, which was entirely different. Yeah. Um, and so I was working in the department that was rolling out the um, that particular network. And I was maybe only my very early 20s. I wasn't really sure of what my career was doing. I just knew that I wanted to have fun. I liked technology. I was, you know, I was organizing a lot of events. But I was also, you know, had this quite serious job, um, which involved a little bit of database engineering, um, a little bit of like admin. And it was a, it was a mixed bag. But my boss at the time was a complete hard ass. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> like, if I was five, well, I was generally more than five minutes late, but if I was late, he held me accountable. If I, you know, if I said I would do something and I didn't, you know, he would hold me accountable. And I just felt like he was always coming down on me like a ton of bricks. Um, but over, you know, over the course of a few years working directly with him, um, I began to understand that it takes effort and time to hold someone accountable like you have to want them to succeed if you're going to have those difficult conversations so a mentor isn't about someone who's going to tell you you're great um although a mentor is someone who should support you and um you know encourage you but a mentor is also somebody who is going to have those difficult conversations who is going to uh help you to be the best performer that you can be and to deliver your best work consistently. And, you know, occasionally I would do something amazing and then the rest of the time I might be a little bit, you know, unreliable. And, you know, he, he sat me down one day and he said, look, I would rather you were consistently good rather than occasionally brilliant and occasionally unreliable because consistency is far better um, uh, and will help you grow if you're consistently, you know, working to a certain level. And I really didn't understand what any of that meant at that <laughs> age. You know, I really had no clue. Um, uh, at, you know, for the first year, I thought he was just a pain in the ass. Um, and it was only after three or four years. I remember in my third year or fourth year, he was the one who encouraged me to go back to college at night. Um, uh, I got a, a qualification in, in public relations at night and, and the organization, the, the company itself uh, funded it. Uh, you know, and it was after a few years, he was the one who said, right, you need to be finding a new, better job now. You're you're talented, you're skilled and you're wasted here. You know, think bigger. Um, and he yeah. actually encouraged me to leave his department um, and go on to better things. And he, you know, uh, that was 20 years ago. And to this day, um, I still get words of encouragement uh, and, you know, uh, it, like he and his wife and kids came to my wedding. Um, uh, and it was, it's in hindsight that I realized he was my first mentor um, and he held me accountable. So a mentor is someone who's, you know, not necessarily going to be nice to you all the time. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds going to be honest. <laughs> yeah. You know, well, I have had mentoring relationships where the individuals were, and I'm a nice person, you know, I'm, I'm never deliberately mean. But um, you have to, uh, if you just tell someone they're great, they're never going to grow. Uh, there's a brilliant, brilliant uh, clip from a, a, a New York rabbi. Um, and I show this a lot. It is a one and a half minute clip about 
uh, being uncomfortable and about how a lobster goes under a rock and uh, sheds its shell because the shell isn't uh, doesn't change shape. And he hides under a rock to protect himself and he grows a bigger shell. But if he, um, if when that lobster was getting uncomfortable and growing, if he went to the doctor and got like a Percocet or got a Valium or whatever and didn't actually um, cast off his shell, he'd never grow. So, you know, being uncomfortable is an opportunity to grow and and become more resilient. So uh, I, I do think that is part and parcel of, of you know, delivering your best work and becoming um, better. Yeah, that's definitely the case. I mean, yeah, if you're not going to push yourself outside your comfort zones, then you don't know what you can, what you can do, what your potential is. Absolutely. And I think I, I learned that actually late in life as well from sports um, because I started rowing when I was in my 30s. And, you know, it's it's one of those funny sports where, I mean, there's skill involved, but it, a lot of it is also about how willing are you to endure a certain amount of discomfort in order to, you know, get the score you want or finish the race the way you want. Um, and so, yeah, I think resilience is definitely a trait that can be nurtured in both mm. entrepreneurship uh, and and in, and in sports. But uh, yeah, I, I, I've definitely learned, and I think a lot of us in, during the pandemic have learned that too, that resilience and grit is goes a long way, for sure. Definitely, I think we're all learning those lessons. <laughs> so on the flip side, what do you look for in a mentee? So, um, so some of the mentoring I do is through formal programs, um, you know, where, where I've actually signed up to, you know, the, the Women Who Wow uh, mentoring program with Trinity is fantastic. And there are very clear guidelines. You you meet a lot of the entrepreneurs and then you're matched depending on, um, you know, uh, overlaps and interest in areas. And that's a very simple, you know, one call a month kind of thing. Um, other mentoring relationships happen more naturally. And I think they're probably the, the, the best kind. Um, um, I was, um, I've mentored a number of younger people who are trying to get into this area of industry. And, you know, for example, specifically search engine optimization is not like if you go to, if you go and study it in a course, by the time you've learned what is in a textbook, it's out of date. You know, Google updates the algorithm every two weeks, practically. So, uh, it is definitely something you have to learn at the coalface. Mm. And so it's almost like being an, an apprentice more so than uh, being able to go to college and learn it. So yeah. um, people have come to me and said that they're really keen to learn it. Um, um, I Only yesterday I was uh, asked, would I be a mentor for someone who I've worked with? Um, uh, and, you know, that person, that individual is remarkable and hungry to learn and has a really, really good attitude. So, you know, attitude is definitely the key, what I look for, um, the right attitude for sure. Excellent. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's the whole, um, you can lead a horse to water, you can't make him drink kind of idiom. Yes. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, I did, I like, I haven't had any unpleasant or difficult mentoring conversations. Um, I think, um, the, the thing that took me a long time to learn to say when I was starting out was, I don't know. Now I love confessing my ignorance. Um, <laughs> I am not attached to being right and I am not attached to being the one who knows all the answers. Um, there is a freedom in having no ego about not knowing something, about having a beginner's mind or also being able to be proved wrong. Like I'm not attached to 
any one idea. And I love robust debate where someone has the ability to prove me wrong. That's uh, <laughs> one of the most brilliant um, uh, uh, engagements. You can have a conversation where somebody changes your mind about an idea. Yes. Um, so I look for in, in, in people that we recruit to the, the business I, I run, um, in people I work in clients, Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, the people I, I have around me, I look for, uh, first of all, oh, I have a rule, Namdam for client se- selection. Namdam yep. is no asshole, money doesn't actually matter. So uh, shared values of honesty, transparency, trust, um, uh, the ability to be wrong, to happy, to be happily wrong, uh, to listen, um, and, and yeah, to be hungry, to learn new things, to be excited and curious. Those are all fantastic traits to have in colleagues, coworkers, friends, mentors, yes. mentees, and clients. That's a great role to have. Sometimes hard to adhere to. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> That's brilliant. So as part of, you know, all the screening, um, when you're looking at some of the, I guess, the applications for people who are wanting to pitch their ideas for the various programs that you're involved with because you don't always get a face-to-face how do you filter out the brilliant ideas with the terrible execution or the you know the terrible ideas but the people who have potential to make it work um and it's funny because uh, i see it from both sides because as a consultancy firm you know we're, we're helping create those pitch documents that sometimes you know, that have to go out into the world and do an awful lot of heavy lifting. Um, so uh, it's interesting. There's a million good ideas. There is no shortage of amazing ideas. There is a huge shortage of people who can make those ideas a reality. Um, and so uh, I look to the team behind the ideas um, and I, I look to see if I think that the team have the capability because you know what? businesses fail and it's never because of the idea. Well, sometimes it's because of the idea, (laughs) but mostly good ideas and good businesses fail because of the people. Um, And, you know, I think 65% of startups with a co-founder, sorry, 65% of startups fail because of disagreements with co-founders. So it's always the human interactions that lead to, you know, challenges because we're all human and, and, you know, we're, we're sticky and painful and like, we're just bags of meat with emotions. Um, <laughs> so, um, uh, I stole that expression from a good friend of mine actually. Um, but we, um, yeah, so I, I look to the team behind the idea. Um, I first of all, see if they have, you know, the ability to communicate, because if you have the ability to communicate well with each other, then you're going to be more likely to succeed because you can resolve issues better. Um, but uh, I also look for diversity in teams and, you know, everyone's saying, oh, diversity is really important. Uh, and, you know, well, some people are recognizing that it's important. Some people are still yet <laughs> to understand how important it is. But yes. I think this is really, really critical to success, not because it's just the right thing to have, but because when you're trying to solve problems, if you have diversity in your teams, you are able to see that problem from so many more perspectives. It's again, it's like that volumetric video, that 360 perspective. And you have people with different experiences and different ways of thinking and different mindsets and different ideas, all of them looking at the problem with their own perspectives. And that gives you a 
so much clarity of the shape of that problem and how to untangle it. Like there's a brilliant story that I, uh, um, I use to illustrate problem solving and it's to do with uh, log jammers in the 1600s. So um, if you're floating a bunch of logs down a river, uh, uh, um, sometimes they get tangled at bends. And back in the day, there used to be a team of river pigs that would shunt the shunt the logs. So some people were at the front, some people were at the sides shoving it into the middle, and some people were at the back kind of lifting it off the, the rocks and whatnot. But there was always one expert log jammer who was the one who was brought to the front when when a, a log jam occurred and the way to unravel it is to find the key log, the one log that you can extract, that you can pull, that will kind of unlock the whole problem. Um, yeah. But if you, you pull the wrong one, you compound the whole thing and then you need yes. dynamite to blow it up and then everyone goes home without earning any wages. <laughs> but um, um, that that log jammer would be, look at the, the, the situation, but he needed a team to be all on both sides of the bank and on top of the problem and behind the problem. And he would shout to them quickly and he trusted them inside out and backwards. Uh, and using all of their um, perspectives, he was able to make a decision uh, quickly to unlock the problem. Um, yeah. And so diverse teams with multiple perspectives are, the, are what you need to make decisions quickly and effectively. Definitely a big thing right there. And, you know, another thing that's come up, uh, I've been paying a lot of attention to academic Twitter since I started doing this and a lot of people have been you know pointing out these articles where they're saying that a lot of novel ideas are coming from the people from ethnic minorities or with diverse backgrounds because they're seeing all these problems from different perspectives and they're coming up with more novel ways of trying to approach issues that have been you know long-standing because everyone else has gotten into this group think but yeah that's good a whole set of other political issues but you know it just goes yeah, to show that yeah. you just do need that diverse range of thought um it re especially if you're trying to go internationally you have to understand international markets and if you've got a bunch of like middle-aged white men trying to solve problem um and then figuring out how they're going to sell it internationally i you know I, I, like a little bit of diversity goes a really long way so i always look for that in teams especially when i'm the pitch might be great the idea might be great but i look at the team behind it and i ask myself you know do they have do they have deep understanding of lots of different kinds of people? Yeah. Has there ever been an, um, a recommendation that you've made to a team where you've just thought the idea is really sound and, you know, they've got a lot of potential, but they just need to add that little bit of difference to make it work? Yeah. <laughs> I put that recommendation on multiple entries uh, at uh, the last evaluation set that I did. You know, if I, if there wow. was, a, if it was, if it was an all male, um, um, startup um, C-suite and all male advisors, I, I would put this comment that, that this is not an ideal that they should. Yeah. And, you know, I definitely marked them harder because I felt that they were underrepresented. Um, but yeah, I mean, it is, it is one. Uh, my, my biggest challenge, I suppose, is time um, um, because there's so many interesting things to do. And uh, uh, but last year was very, very busy now, I think, because of the way everything accelerated and because we doubled down in e-commerce. You know, I think I worked, I think I worked six or seven days a week throughout 2020. I'm beginning to try and manage my time a bit better, but uh, that's that's my that's my goal for this year. My personal goal is to try and, um, you know, figure out how to 
um, have some downtime so that I can yeah. allow my brain to recover and and uh, and be as resilient and as and and endure, you know. Yes, definitely. So important to get that downtime, especially at times like this. So yeah, we'll move along to those last bits of questions since you do have your hard stop. So finally, um, what hobby or interest you have that's most unrelated to your field of work? Well, um, I think Firepoy would probably be um, the best answer for that. So uh, cool. I still spin fire. Um, so yes. Firepoy is uh, you have balls of Kevlar that are attached to chains with uh, uh, leather straps on your fingers and uh, you dip them in paraffin and spin them in beautiful circular patterns. And um, I used to be a like very long time ago, a professional fire performer, but I still do it. Um, and it's good for your arms. Um, it is. And occasionally <laughs> for friends, friends' weddings and things like that, I occasionally come out of retirement and, and put on a show. So I think that's that answer. That's fantastic. Yeah. I missed out on the fire twirling um, class during uni, but my friends made it. So I ended up doing a little bit of poi, no fire. Didn't trust myself with that, but I was never very good at it. <laughs> it's it's not actually... Fun, though. It's a lot of fun. Uh, it's a lot of fun and it's very, it's very meditative once you kind of master the not clonking yourself in the head. <laughs> yes, definitely. I did notice that until I hit myself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And next question, which childhood book holds the strongest memory for you? Um, that's a really good question. Um, I will be completely honest and say Enid Blyton's Faraway Tree. Um, I read it when I was really, really young. Um, and I just thought it was so magical, the idea that there's different lands at the top of a tree every single time. Um, imagination was, uh, I always have plenty of it, but yeah, it was just such an imaginative story. Um, I think it was the, it's the first one I remember reading. Um, so there you go. Yeah, definitely. We grew up on Enid Blyton as well, Enid Blyton all over the house and reading it to my daughter as well. It's just such an amazing oh, very good. Like, universe. It's beautiful. Yeah, Moonface, like having a slide to uh, the, on the inside of a tree that you can slide down. Yeah, like very vivid um, memories of that and being read that and reading it when I was very young. Um, and actually, I think uh, the other one is, is in a movie, it's a film, but I remember seeing Labyrinth when I was really young oh, and just being completely in trance. Yeah, really, really good. Yeah. Um, again, just like yeah, creativity, magic. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Anything that gets your, your creative juices flowing. And lastly, we've covered some of this already, but what's advice that you'd give someone who wants to get into what you do and what advice should they ignore? Um, so um, specifically around the sort of the dark arts of, of search engine optimization and, um, and growing something digitally, uh, I think you need to get your hands dirty. So find someone with, uh, find a friend with a website, with, a, with an online business, uh, uh, and offer to help help them get your hands dirty with Google Analytics. Use it every day, um, and and just get out there and do it. It is not rocket science, but you have to. It's a it's a purely practical skill about you know getting into on page and off page SEO. So I would say learn by doing and find someone you can help and help them. Um, so you're learning and you're helping someone close to you, which is great. Um, in terms of um, entrepreneurship in general, um, I think, uh, yes, find a mentor, 
um, and and look to the programs that are nurturing entrepreneurship in general. There's plenty out there. Coursera is fantastic as a resource if you're if you're working full time and you need to do it part time or or without a huge amount of cost. There's some really interesting courses there. Um, um, and yeah, yeah, amazing. So yeah, well, thank you so much for seeing me with me today, Emily. It's been so interesting learning about your journey, especially like so many little twists and turns but yeah you can see how it all kind of leads you to this you know amazing space and you know it's yeah. wonderful that you're doing all of this work with mentorship and the advisory to give back it's wonderful oh, thank you and uh, just to finish up there was one point that I suppose um I think that um, career development is going to be um AI is going to make many of the jobs that we train for today completely irrelevant and so I believe fundamentally that if you are going to be um, valuable and employable and um, resilient in the future, the best way to do that is to be as diverse in your skill sets as possible. So I don't think you're going to go and train to be a, um, you know, an accountant or a lawyer in 20 years time. I think if you follow the things that you're deeply passionate about and if you if you become um, an expert in uh, multiple areas, then I think you're much more likely to be um, useful and employable in the future where there's no clear careers. Um, and I think STEM is so important, but I love that your uh, your initiative is called STEAM because when you add A for art into the STEM yes. and you have a, a mix of you know philosophy and ethics and uh, creativity right. and imagination in with STEM, you have the perfect mix to be as you know, useful and as resilient as possible going forward. Yes, definitely. And, you know, some of it is what we do in everything else. Like it, it doesn't make sense to exclude that into in from what we do from a day to day or in front of work. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Wonderful. So if people want to know more about you and what you do, where can they find out? Um, I'm still loving Twitter. Um, even more so now that the orange what's it is gone um so at emily jane ross is my twitter handle um yeah you can follow me on linkedin i write on medium um i'm bringing a book out later on this year with um with a co-author uh so i'll probably be talking about that on twitter um wonderful and yeah there you go fantastic well thank you again that's been it's been so amazing to speak to you today and yeah i'll let you get on with your day thank you so much Thanks so much. Thanks for having me and uh, enjoy the rest of your day. Will do. Thanks. Entrepreneurship and mentorship is something that most of us will encounter, if not actively seek, at some point in our careers. It's about personal and career development, and whether we already have a plan or if we just need a nudge in the right direction. I hope Emily's my conversation today gives some of you an idea on how to approach either of these paths. It was also very helpful to learn about Emily's experiences on both sides of a mentoring relationship, and a little about the kind of work that goes into starting and growing new businesses, and the dynamics and diversity one needs to consider when embarking on a new business venture. To learn more about Emily and what we discussed on the show, or to connect with us, please visit the Steam Powered website at steampoweredshow.com. You can also reach out to Emily on Twitter at Emily Jane Ross and LinkedIn, the links for which will also be in the show notes. If you enjoyed this conversation and want to hear more like it, Subscribe to this podcast and share this with your geeky or geek-curious friends. You can also support Steam Powered on Patreon and Ko-fi under Steam Powered Show, the links for which will also be in the show notes. 
Thanks for tuning in and we'll see you next time.